Howdy. I'm Kate Cavanaugh, and you're listening to The Groundwork Podcast. This begins an exploration of connectedness, looking at our own nature through the lens of nature. Mind, body, and soil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Groundwork Podcast. I am, as ever, your host, Kate Cavanaugh, and I am coming at you from a late August afternoon where the goldenrod in the pastures has just begun to bloom, hearkening the beginning of the turn of the season. Every time the goldenrod blooms here, I just know that fall is right around the corner. And indeed it is. We were stacking wood this week and buttoning up some windows on the barns and going to pick up a wood stove. And so there is this aspect of transition that's happening in our work. But I also noticed that around this time of year, there's also a transition that happens in my body. I begin to feel myself shift from that high energy state of summer into just a touch more introspection and thinking about how I'm going to nourish my body as we get into the cooler weather. And I also find that with cooler weather comes this this little hint of introspection. And so my podcast guest over the next two episodes right? This is a two-parter. And trust me, you are not going to want to miss either the first or second episode is, is the perfect guest to sort of bring us into this transition and to really give us some nourishment for our nervous system. And so my guest today is Irene Lyon. And I was connected with Irene and dove into one of her courses, the 21-Day Nervous System Tune-Up. I was just so amazed. Irene is a nervous system expert. She's a somatic practitioner. She trained with the incredible father of somatic experiencing, Peter Levine, and she really holds one of these keys on how we can become our own healers and how we can find this relationship with our own bodies and the environment outside of us through better understanding the nervous system. And so I took her 21-day nervous system tune-up. And as somebody who has done a lot of therapy and a lot of trauma work and a little bit of somatic experiencing, I was really astounded, honestly, by the way that Irene is able to convey information. I'm one of those, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast, I'm one of those kids that's always asking why. I want to understand the mechanisms behind things, the biology behind things, the physiology behind things. And Irene really lays the groundwork for understanding how the nervous system functions, the physiological components of the nervous system, and how it gets set from in utero all the way through to adulthood in a way that really gives you a basis to then utilize these incredible and very simple and actionable tools 
to begin to better regulate your own nervous system and to find that deeper connection with self and with environment. And so I just knew that she had to come onto the podcast so that she could share her wealth of information. And we went through podcast round one and had just this incredible conversation. And afterwards, we both felt that we had missed this really important component. And we dived into part two, which will be coming out next Tuesday, that was just as, if not more potent than the first episode. So I can't stress enough, please listen to both episodes. It is well worth your time. They're just jam-packed with, with information. And in addition to this, because I, I felt so passionately about her program, I became an affiliate. And so I just want to give that level of transparency as well as the level of transparency that I would never sell you something that I don't passionately believe in myself. And so there's, there's my little disclaimer on this. But there's this aspect of reciprocity that can happen here. If you listen to the next two episodes with Irene and you feel really called to dive into some deeper work with your nervous system and to get into a position of becoming your own healer and your own medicine through this work, then I would love if you would go through my links to purchase either the 21-day nervous system tune-up or her 12-week online group program that's coming up, and it only comes once a year this September, called Smart Body, Smart Mind. And by going through my links, then there's this little aspect of reciprocity. You are supporting yourself while you are helping me to support this podcast. I cannot stress enough just what a wealth of knowledge this woman is and what an expert she is. And I think that when we're talking about health and the precipitous increase in chronic illnesses and negative health outcomes, it really bears mentioning that I think that the nervous system is part of the root cause of so much of this. And I think that diet, that exercise, that circadian biology, connection to nature, all of these things are part and parcel. But I really feel like within the the popular narrative in these spaces, something that's missing is this connection to the nervous system. And we talk some about how that has been studied and that we know that this is sitting at the cause of many chronic illnesses and even certain cancers. And so, again, I just think that this is an incredible, very potent podcast. If you love Irene's work and you decide to join her in one of her journeys, there are links below in the show notes, or you can just shoot me a message or a DM if you have any questions about my experience with the 21-Day Nervous System Tune-Up. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to the incredible and just magical Irene Lyon. I could not have enjoyed recording this podcast more. I'm getting, as you get more regulated, your sensitivity is just like, Oh my gosh. Skyrocket. You know, and, and we can kind of drop in here, but 
one of the things that actually brought me out to the country was my very sensitive nervous system and wanting to get out of that intense fray. Mm-hmm. And that was one of our big motivators for leaving the city in the first place. And so yeah. completely understand that. You had just mentioned that your your dad grew up in a dairy farm. And as I've been yeah. listening to your videos, I've caught little hints of your childhood spent in the outdoors in Whistler and your experience too with your parents' veterinary practice and how that just informed some early childhood views of healing, maybe, and certainly of of working with biology. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you got to where you are and and what brought you into somatic experiencing in particular. Yeah, there's so many avenues, Kate, to dive in with that, but you're correct. I grew up literally in an animal hospital. Both my parents are veterinarians, retired now. My mother actually got her veterinary, veterinary degree in Manila, the Philippines, back in, you know, the early 60s, which for a woman was very rare back then. So that's a whole other story in itself, which is for maybe another day. And then my father, yeah, he grew up on a dairy farm in an area east of Vancouver called DeRoche Dubny, known as the Fraser Valley, you know, classic dairy farm. It's nothing regenerative like people are trying to do these days, but whatever. So he, he didn't want to take over the farming practice, which, you know, can be a hit when that's the family business. But it's common though. It's very common. And I think especially of that generation, there was a mass exodus from farming. Completely. And it's so interesting that now people want back in and I think that's cool. But yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to help animals and be a doctor. And thankfully his parents were, you know, supportive and they actually sold the farm in order to put him into veterinary school. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they, they kept, you know, they kept a small little hobby farm and, and, and such, but you know, wasn't a lot of money back then. So that's what happened. But yeah, yeah. I was literally born into an animal hospital. That was my parents' home when I was a baby. And then as soon as they had a practice, I was there pretty much all the time. And I mean, I have memories of being scooped out of bed as a little girl to be driven up to the animal hospital because of an emergency C-section or something like that. And I would be put in charge of like rubbing the puppies or the kittens and making, you know, droppers of, of formula and, and keeping them warm. And I, I can even smell the smells, you know, that's a very distinct smell when, yes, when, it is right. It's almost like a sterile smell, but it's also their poop and all the fluids. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that I can I can smell precisely what it smells like to be in a vet's office, and it is that antiseptic smell overlaying that definitely funkier. The odor of you know, so so no, I mean I I was exposed to probably more than I should have been at an early age. So there's the fun things that happen at a, at a veterinary practice, but then there's you know it's a hospital. So animals are there because they're quite sick and old and, you know, abscesses with maggots crawling out of them. I mean, it's gross. And so yeah, I, a lot so- of that's a lot to witness. And it's a lot of there's a lot of disgust there and there's a lot of death, a lot yeah. to hold. It was a lot to hold. And, you know, I've processed it, a lot of it. <laughs> My parents are listening to this. <laughs> but, 
It was in my SE training, actually, Kate, that I realized how much had been stored in my system from that experience. And just like anything, I don't wish I I wouldn't have changed it for anything because it taught me so much. It taught me so much. I mean, I can do small surgery if I have to, you know, in an emergency situation because of that, I can neuter a cat, like all these sorts of things. But as a little person, it was a lot. And if we talk about this idea of the nervous system and how we shut down, you know, I figured out how to compartmentalize the things that were really gross. I learned how to hold my breath when things stunk really badly. I had held hundreds, thousands of animals as they had been put under for surgery or, you know, euthanized to be put to sleep. So a lot of that flooded back when I was in my SE training, but to kind of go back to how I got into this work originally, I was in high school, very athletic, very driven by sport and skiing and figure skating. And I injured myself in, I think it was grade 12. I uh, ruptured the anterior cruciate ligament of my left knee, had to have it operated on. And that was around the time that I was trying to figure out what to do at university. And I decided to go into exercise science. And that was my entry point into kind of post-secondary education. I got into fitness. I got into nutrition, sports nutrition. And then to kind of make that condensed, I was in that world of fitness and biomedical science for close to 15 years. But what happened, Kate, was that I had another injury and then I had another injury all on my knees. And the one that really kind of, you could say, catapulted me into the mind body healing world outside of regular exercise science is I broke my kneecap. I don't know if you caught that story on my bio. I did. Yeah. So that happened after an ACL reconstruction. So it's kind of a weird thing. I had the first ACL that I ruptured when I was a teenager ruptured again, playing soccer in university and tried to fix that without surgical intervention that didn't work. I needed to have an ACL and then had that reconstructed. And then about three weeks post-op, I was walking down the stairs where I was living and no word of a lie. I went to go land my foot on a step. My quadricep contracted and my, my patella, my kneecap just broke right in half. And I heard the five cracks. It was like a ratchet (laughs) tightening something, but in this case it was breaking apart my kneecap pain. Like I have never experienced in my life, even still to this day. I can't even imagine. It was, you know, There's a reason why they, they say, you know, in the mob, they like break your kneecaps with baseball bats. Like it's a severe injury. So that happened, got it operated on. Thank God for modern medicine for that. But then what happened? Western medicine, sorry, Western medicine is fantastic at acute trauma. Holy cow. That's what it does best. I, I would, if that hadn't have, if we didn't have modern medicine and orthopedic surgery, I would either be in a wheelchair or I would be, I would have an amputation. You know, it was, it was that bad. So I started to rehab in the way that I knew how. And remember, I had already gone through seven years of exercise science. I was a top fitness trainer at a ski resort 
working with athlete, like athletes, Olympic athletes, all the people. And I was very fit going into this and everything that I had been taught Kate and all the physical therapy. And I had good physical therapists at my doorstep, literally wasn't working. I'm like, in other words, I was strong. I looked really good, but I was in so much tension at the time I was probably in pain, but I was so frozen functionally due to my earlier years that I'm like, Oh, my neck's just a little stiff. And, but I was probably in incredible pain, but not knowing it. So when this really came ahead, I was actually in Australia doing my master's of research in science, biomedical science, health science. That's a whole other story. And uh, did intervention trials with older adults, putting them through intense strength training. And actually um, you'll get a kick out of this. Our research was funded by the Meat and Livestock Association of Australia. Fascinating. Yeah. Unbelievable. I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I love that. I I was on Sean Sean Baker's podcast and I brought that up and he was like, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, so, so yeah, they were funding this research because nobody was eating red meat anymore because of all the cholesterol scares, which we now know is completely yes. bunk, right? It's yeah. yeah. I was Ansel Keys propagating a bunch of cherry picked data that became the prevailing narrative. And I get, I'm getting shivers as you say that, because while I love the study I did, and I'm glad I got my master's, I actually found out later I could have gotten my PhD because the research was that well done, but I needed an extra study. So that's like, ah. Oh. But it was in that academic time that I'm like, I don't like this world. I don't like it. I don't like the backstabbing that I would hear in the coffee rooms, the the competition, the lack of just support to all the fellow researchers. Now, you know, that wasn't happening at the lower level of postgrad, but you heard the cat fights happening at the professor level, the, you know, for the grants, for the pharmaceuticals. And I'm like, I don't want to be in this and I hate statistics. So it's just like, <laughs> get me out of here. There's so much, you know, I started off and headed towards that world of academia yeah. and saw the way that money was flowing and the culture within the higher realms of academia and felt that there had to be more to creating a more holistic lens of understanding. Well, and what was interesting was that we did this study and I'll get back to my, my injury story in a second. It was a great study and it got published. And, you know, we had about 40 people in the end that went through this high intensity exercise training two different diets. Bear in mind, these people weren't malnourished. They weren't sick. They were already healthy, older adults, but the exercise was the most potent stimulus out of the, in the entire thing. And we know that, but the thing that was more potent even than that was the um, camaraderie and the social connection. And I can still see that like this was in 2000, I can still see, you know, Joyce and Peter shout walking in like super, jazz to be there. And then this other guy, I forget his name, who was a solo single man and telling me about how he can you know, ride his motorcycle easier and he can push it up his driveway. Whereas he wasn't able to like I, one woman, I can vacuum the whole house, you know, in one go, I don't need to take breaks. And I'm like, damn it. We never thought to study that stuff. And because I didn't study it, 
with a tool, which is like a questionnaire or something like that. I couldn't mention it. It was completely you couldn't incorporate it. It was completely yeah. anecdotal. And it was in that moment that I felt like I got gypped because so much good stuff starts anecdotally. That's we observe, we observe trends and patterns. That's what epidemiology is. You know, everyone thinks epidemiology is this great science. It's like, well, it's just examining trends. I saw a trend in these people and I can't even mention it as something. Probably because you didn't mention it in your hypothesis. And no. so and so here we have this guiding principle of science that doesn't actually allow for the incredible and surprising aspects that that are the hallmarks exactly. of science. And I think, you know, to cut science some slack, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's to me there are certain types of there's certain, I think of, when I think of science, I look at, I like visualize a university, right? And you've got the, the biology wing and the education wing and the psychology wing and the agriculture wing and, and the engineering wing. And I want the engineers to be very, very good at linear cut and dry black and white. Cause I don't want the bridge that I'm driving over to fall down. Right. Absolutely. So there's certain things. And I think this is, we get into trouble when we lack the nuance is that, yeah, I do think certain things biologically should be studied at that academic level, but then so there's a whole other thing of human health and how we heal and things that, you know, can't be explained. And just because you can't see it or touch it or study it doesn't mean that it isn't happening. And I think that that is actually starting to become more known in certain circles, which is really good, which brings me back to like what was happening with my body at that time, doing physio, massage, all the exercise and I just, something wasn't right. And so my physical therapist sent me up the road to see a Feldenkrais practitioner, which at the time I had no idea what any of that was. You know, I was still so young then, but I went mainly out of desperation. Cause I'm like, I can't spend this much time seeing physio and massage. And, and so I went and I saw this, this physical therapist who was trained in this stuff that I had no idea what it was. Cause bear in mind, Google was hardly even a thing then. So it wasn't even a thing to like Google and look up this. It's just, here's the address on a piece of paper, take the train up to the next town and go see this guy. And so I did. And it's kind of a, I wish I could put myself back in my body then because I was, I was knowingly now I know I was functionally frozen. Um, I remember aspects of it, but I only saw him maybe three times one-on-one -on -one, Kate. And then he gave me a tape <laughs> and he's like, do side a, and then wait a day and then do side B and then do side a, and then do side B for the young people. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was like <laughs> cassette tape in a Sony. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. And and I did that religiously. And at the end of a month, my body was as light as a feather. The strength was so crisp. And I knew that something had shifted the day that I was able to, to pick up my bike over my back and run up the stairs to my office. Cause it couldn't fit in the elevator and it was always a little heavy. And then I just, my whole body had rearranged into this skeletal functionality that was like, holy shit, something's different here. So 
And then I forgot about it because I got back into my research because my body felt better. And fast forward to when I was back in Canada, I tweaked my back, I think doing a squat at the gym or something. And I started to look for those tapes and I couldn't find them. They probably, I probably just chucked them to be honest when I was moving back. And at that time there was Google and you know, this might've been like 2003, pretty sure it was 2003. And I, I looked up and Lo and behold, there was a professional training starting the next year in Victoria, which is on the island of British Columbia here. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I did it. That was 04. Totally, totally revolutionized everything I had learned in fitness for movement science. But I got into that and then loved it, started practicing private practice group classes, helping a lot of people in the town that I was living. And I was living in Whistler, British Columbia at the time. And then in 08, I started getting more problem. I say that with quotes, problem clients and that really severe injuries, abuse, falling off of cliffs, burns, And while I still provided that kind of care and, and, you know, bedside manner, that was one thing that the veterinary practice taught me really well is imagine this, you're walking into like a dog ward or cat ward with the cats and the dogs. They're always separate and you had to go in to give them food or clean them. You start to get a very good spidey sense as to how they need you to be so that you don't get bit. And, yes. and you would know that with your animals, right? You, you feel Absolutely. it and you can't and treat it. Go ahead. It's a, there's a sense of you have to be in your own body and yes. you have to have a felt sense of regulation yeah. before you approach them because they will sense any, any yeah. part of you that is dysregulated or in fear. Yes. A hundred percent. And so, you know, despite a lot of that functional freeze I was brought into, and it's not just from that, it's from just general conditioning in our society. Um, I learned really well how to feel when something wasn't right. And so this summer in 08, when I was doing my Feldenkrais practice, I got these group, like about five people I can recall that were just not getting better with what I was doing with them. And I'm like, God, am I missing another, another thing? I, I guess I am. And that was one thing. I don't know where that gift came from. Maybe it was from the universe or the multiverse stars that implanted into me, but I never worried when I didn't know something, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, there's obviously something else I need to learn. And luckily a colleague in that world had studied somatic experiencing at the very beginning when Peter was starting to do the trainings in the early nineties. And she's like, you should probably check out this stuff called somatic experiencing. Da, 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 da. So I probably got the book waking the tiger and read it and then looked up the trainings. And then the following year, boom, I was in a training in Carlsbad and SoCal learning from really one of the protégés that Peter created, Steve Hoskinson. And that was it. I was hooked. I was like, holy moly, this shit is really important. And I just have these memories of light bulbs going off, going, wow, not every, but most of our chronic conditions, autoimmune, neurological, learning problems, addiction, 
depressions, mental, psychiatric, they're all tied into this thing called the nervous system and the dysregulation of it. And yes, diet and light and all that is very important. All of it's important. But if you don't have this one piece dialed in in your system, the rest doesn't have foundation to stand on. And that just opened, like it just blew me into this totally different world. And that was 08, 09, 010. And then I just went full like fifth gear and just studied as much as I could. Any masterclass Peter Levine did, I was at, and then eventually assisting at, and then to take it full circle, studied with a few of his colleagues. Cause again, he's not the one that has all the answers either. He has colleagues that have created really cool things with working with early trauma and pre-verbal trauma where there's no memories. Cause that's a lot of uh, what a lot of us have survived is not um, shock traumas that we remember, but things that happened before we cognitively could make sense of anything. So we can talk about that, but added some more pieces, then was in private practice doing this work going, whoa, this is like, this is the shit. Like these are the pieces. And then that combined with Feldenkrais, the movement, the developmental movement patterns that are taught in Feldenkrais. It was just like this. I don't like to use the term magic bullet, but it was like a little magic bullet. And then what happened was I was in private practice and just realizing that an hour a week wasn't enough. And if someone even had the ability to see me an hour a week, which wasn't many people, cause it's not covered. Most things are not covered here in Canada much, you know, people think that's true, but it's not true. And I started making homework assignments for my um, students or my clients, like taping things, making slideshows on PowerPoint, teaching them the stuff I had been taught in class. And one thing led to another to the courses that I have now, which is just education, practice, study. It doesn't mean that one doesn't need to see a private person every now and again, but it was very clear to me, like there's a lot that people can learn on their own without needing to come into an office and sit with me for an hour. Cause what was happening, Kate, is I was literally like pen and paper, like drawing graphs, like crazy person. It's like, do you get that? So this is, and I'm like, this is not conducive to both of our time. I think something that you do so beautifully is education. And as someone who really desires to understand the how and the why behind any practice Mm -hmm. that I'm using, I think it really helps to drop that into your body. And you have this this extensive library as well as these in-depth classes Mm -hmm. that get you more into the practice and not just the know-how. And so I just think that that's something that you've built so wonderfully is education. And I think you have a real knack for using this lever of curiosity. And and curiosity is, is my favorite lever to utilize whenever I want to find my my reason for doing something. Yeah. And to really initiate that process. Well curiosity is is built into us from the very beginning. And, you know, if we think of an infant for those that have had the joy of being around them, whether they're yours or someone else's, you know, they, they hear something and they, they perk up, they smell something. There's just this innate desire to be wondered 
you know, wonder at the world to just look at the wonderfulness of the world. And what happens that I've seen, and of course I generalize here, but the way that we've been brought into this world as humans, for the most part, it just bleaches out that wonder and that curiosity, or, or you can only have that in certain spaces, right? Because it's disruptive. Exactly. I just had a conversation with another guest and we talked about how curiosity within institutional settings like schools, it, it's disruptive. Totally. And, um, you know, to go back to my joke about the engineers, it's like, sometimes you need to be serious and learn, but then you have to also feed that other part of the human system that desires that play which is really what it is. And yeah, when you're, when you're stuck in a disconnected, dissociated, disembodied state, it can feel really weird because you'll ask someone to try to be curious about a sensation that I would never actually say that to someone new because they literally will look at you like you're speaking a foreign language. Like, what do you mean? Be curious. Mm. What do you mean? Interesting. I don't know what that means. And for some, the work can look very remedial because you're literally just getting them to touch their skin. Can you feel that? Squeeze harder. Oh, okay. I can feel it. Like that's the level that some people are playing at is they've just been so deconditioned to feel these things that everyone's a little different, but you're right. What you said about the education in order for a person to succeed at the work that I do and my colleagues do, you have to be interested a little bit, even just a little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's kind of like, you know, peering around the corner. Hmm. Like, let's see. Okay. You know, like that, that kid that's a little shy and isn't sure, you know, and if you have, you ever had that with kids and they, they don't like, they don't really like, I don't know who Kate is and they hold on to mom's pant leg And then you just kind of stand back and you don't, you don't press, right? No. And then by the end of the day, they don't want to leave. Yes. That's, that's absolutely. That's the kind of level that you have to work with, with an adult whom has has never had a chance to feel themselves in an alive, vital state. And I think you get at something, and I think that this is a good entry point to talk more about the nervous system, because so mm. much of what I talk about is that we, we've, we're in this state of disconnection. Yes. And I think that's really re- reflected when we talk about the rise of autoimmunity, of obesity, of cancer, of, you know, some of these conditions. Mm-hmm. And we're disconnected from our natural environment and we're disconnected from ourselves. And as I was going through your work, one of the things that I kept considering is that our nervous system from my lens, and please correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is really the way that we have both an internal connection between mind and body and body and mind, a connection to our environment that is around us Mm -hmm. and the connection that we form in social bonds. Mm -hmm. And so that it really acts almost as this vehicle of connection. And it sounds like that was a lot of what you were synthesizing as you went through this journey from seeing during that study that the social connection was a really big factor in people's healing and then getting to experience this mind-body connection yourself as you worked through these injuries. And so 
wonder if we might just, I'm curious because it feels very much to me like the nervous system is our mode of connection. It is. And that was a great entry point, Kate. And I mean, maybe this is a good time to just do a very quick biology lesson. I love that. Okay. So, you know, the nervous system is kind of being used a lot in even popular press right now. And so I think it's actually really important to know exactly what it is because there isn't just one nervous system, right? And so we have, you know, and everyone can play along if they want. I always touch things when I talk about them. So we've got our brain, I love you know, that. right? That's under in within our skull. And that is our part of our central nervous system. And then from the brain, it snakes down into our spinal cord, which is protected by our vertebra. And that is also our central nervous system. So the brain and the spinal cord central, just like it says, it's the center. Then we have the peripheral nervous system, which is, you know, if we think peripheral vision, right? So I'm looking at you, but I can tell that my kitchen is over there and the fireplace is here. Um, I've got all this stuff on my desk that's kind of cluttered, you know, so the periphery. And so the peripheral nervous system is all the cranial nerves, the brain nerves that come out of the brain and also all of the sensory and motor nerves that come out of the spinal cord. So if anybody ever wants to look up a picture when there's so much online, if you just put up in nervous system or peripheral nervous system, you'll see the brain and the spinal cord, and then you'll see all these, you know, nerves that just, just they're going everywhere. And then some might say that there's an enteric nervous system, but technically that is the peripheral nervous system. So really it's those two. And so the thing that's interesting is that even those who are really high up in science, like I was listening to, do you know who Andrew Huberman is? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I have a note about that in here. So he, I like him because he will say, and he just said the other day on a show, you know, we think we know how this brain works and we know a little bit, but we really don't know very much, you know? And so what I'm saying is what I know so far based on my practice, I don't tend to, in my teachings, talk about the parts of the brain. You know, people will get all fancy with the limbic system and the amygdala and the reticular activating system and the hippocampus Mm -hmm. and the cortex and da, 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 da. And Huberman is one of them. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's all there. It's like, it's in there. (laughs) And the reason why is because we can have parts missing and we don't even know it. Like there's, I won't get into that, but like we're, unless you've had a, a scan, like we don't know if we have all of our parts. We think we do, right? But neuroplasticity is a real thing. And so um, so we've got this brain, the central nervous system, the peripheral nervous system, and then we have our movement, right? So I'm moving my arms right now for those that are listening to this. And I've got, you know, various cups of tea and water here. And I've got a bowl of something that I haven't finished eating. (laughs) It's sitting there. And I'm picking these things up because I have a signal from this central nervous system that then goes to the peripheral that says, Irene, show Kate your cup of tea. And I also can see it. And I know how I'm not going to go over there to show it to you. I'm going to bring it here. So all of this is our nervous system orchestrating complex movement, right? And 
the human being is so intricate because of these hands and because of our speech and everything else. And of course, this frontal cortex, which is very, very human. Because of these complexities, we have a bit of a conundrum because we have all the organs that our cats and dogs have and other mammals and other you know, creatures, but then we have this higher brain that can hold memory, that can hold bad stuff. We have, we have this ability to trap memories from traumas and then it dissipates and disengages the accuracy at which we pick up things and see things and feel things and hear things. And so, you know, you'll see someone who's dissociated and you walk by them and they don't even know you're there. Right. Or, I mean, we could sit here for five hours with examples, but it's like that person really is not here. They didn't see that happen. Or how is that person not knowing that that is not hot and they've just drunk, you know, and they burned their tongue despite maybe real neurological like damage. If a person doesn't have that, it's like, there's something not firing properly and it isn't just the brain and it isn't just the muscles. It's the entire orchestration of how they're orchestrating. It's the best word I can say, right? If you think of an orchestra conductor, the entire symphony is, is all one, right? Yes. And so the nervous system has all these pieces. I think we get hung up on the brain too much. And even this is off. My mentors have said the brain is an end organ just like the digestion, just like the kidneys. Is it important? A hundred percent. If you took out my brain, I wouldn't be able to be here and speak. If I have a brain injury, same thing, but it is impacted by a deeper element of our stress physiology. So is this making sense? This makes all the sense in the world. And I think that this is a really important distinction too. And I think it plays into both our, our desire to reduce things into individual parts instead of recognizing that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts mm-hmm. and this sort of hierarchical thinking that we love to participate in. Yeah. This is making and it, you know, perfect it's, sense. It's, it's so interesting because, you know, right now there's a lot of focus on breath work and the vagus nerve. Let's just use I, I was going to get into that. Yeah. Perfect. Read your mind. So, The cranial nerves, one of them is the vagus nerve, right? So I mentioned central nervous system, peripheral nerves come out. It's of course important. We we need this vagus nerve, but it's not the only thing. And so here's an example. Let's see if I can use this to explain a little bit about the nervous system and trauma and that kind of stuff. So I got a DM uh, just the other day from someone whom wanted to do one of my courses, which is great. But, you know, it's a little bit of an investment in the grand scheme of how much people spend on stuff. One might say not so much, but I get it. And so they went and they wanted to try some nervous system exercises to see if they would like my entry level course. And so what they did, and this is, again, you're the person that did this. It's not your fault because we've, we've oversimplified in the healing world, what the nervous system is. And so they heard probably, cause it's just being shouted out from every stage 
you've got to tone the vagus nerve, you've got to tone the vagus nerve, da 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 da. Well, that isn't accurate because the vagus nerve is a large nerve and it doesn't just do one thing. And so what they did is they probably found a free exercise somewhere or who knows where. They probably did something that involved some kind of sound. And I teach that in my larger programs, but we don't do it till week eight. That's a long time before you learn the fine-tuned practice of activating and stimulating the vagus nerve. And so they did it and had a whole host of bad things happen. Their depression came back. I can't remember all the things that it was, Kate, but basically it took their existing already fragile dysregulated nervous system and it hit it with a stimulus that it wasn't ready for. It would be like taking someone who has never done any exercise in the world ever and putting them at base camp on Everest and saying to them, do some pushing, do some jumping jacks. That person could die. I think this has become... And I want to be gentle around this, but I think that in our allopathic Western medical model of just having a pill or a quick fix, Mm -hmm. the popularity of the nervous system has increased the way that we're looking for ways to hack it or ways to fix it that are, okay, so I can just chant or maybe I'll gargle and this will, this will be a panacea. I'll tap. Yeah. I'll tap. So again, the thing is, is these things do work like the toning sounds I've learned through Peter and other individuals touching, tapping it. It is a stimulus. It's an activation. The gargling, like you just mentioned, singing, chanting, it is activating a part of the vagus nerve that's responsible for social engagement. But again, this word we use is titration in the work of of somatic experiencing, which is you have to do little drops at a time. Like I have a glass of water here, my, one of my props, like I have a keyboard right below me. I'm not going to pour this all over my keyboard, but I could take a little bit of water and I'll do it right now. And I can, you know, spray it on the keyboard and it's going to be fine. And then I can do another little bit and it'll be fine. And so when we enter into this world and we, we realize, Oh man, these symptoms and problems I have are rooted in dysregulation of my nervous system. Okay, good. We know that. And like you said, Kate, we're used to, I got to go and get a pill or prescription or an exercise and I'll fix this dysregulation. Yes. The problem with that, and I'm going to give you another analogy, which I'll bring back. If you have a newborn baby and they're crying and they're upset. You can't say to that newborn baby, I need you to take 10 deep breaths and calm down. You can't say to that baby, I need you to do the sound that mommy's showing you to calm down your nervous system. It won't work. I can guarantee you it won't work. What you have to do is you have to connect you yourself have to shift your system. You have to provide safety or maybe they're hungry or maybe they're too hot or maybe they're cold or maybe they have gas in their belly or maybe they don't like the uncle or the auntie that's in the room. So I give that example because we need to work at restoring capacity This is the word we have to work at storing capacity, awareness, education, and connection to the person 
as a foundational element to build nervous system regulation, it really can't be um, approached with these quick fixes. Now, someone might say, well, Irene, I did this thing and I actually calmed down. I didn't have the experience that this person that you just talked about did. And I say, you're right. Cause everyone's different. Yes. And I think you touched on something really important, which is a lot of this originates too in childhood, that there, we have been building our nervous system across a lifetime, mm-hmm. and we're not going to really quickly undo what it has taken a lot of time to fashion. No. And so much of this is set in infancy, maybe even in utero. Mm-hmm. And those childhood experiences, especially the ones that might have been more adverse or unpleasant, mm-hmm. are, are going to really shape this. And it's going to take time and titration. And so, and I do want to touch too on, you know, within polyvagal theory, just yeah. to mention both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system so that we have that foundation for continuing the conversation as well. A hundred percent. So that's another great piece is the polyvagal theory isn't just about the vagus nerve. It's about an orchestration. The technical word is the phylogenic response to a situation, whether it's a good situation or not a good situation. In order to talk about polyvagal theory, you also have to talk about something called neuroception, which is the perception of either safety or danger. It's like what I said about going into the kennels at the animal hospital, like my spidey senses have to be continuously monitoring what is going on. In addition to feeling my own body and knowing the exit paths and all those sorts of things. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. The polyvagal theory is interesting and it's good, but it's not, it's not that special. And I don't, I don't say that to hit porges because that's not what I mean. It's just like how it's like the digestion. It's like the gut brain access. It's like our immune system, which we still really don't understand. I think, um, I don't think we do either sorts of things, but what, what is important to know about the, the polyvagal theory and orchestration is that how we interact with a person or an environmental situation is determined on, of course, the situation, but also our history. Right. And Mm. so Mm -hmm. if someone was brought up, as you mentioned, in an adverse, scary, bad things are always happening to me because they really are. And it doesn't have to be abuse. It could be mom and dad are stressed out. Mom and dad hate each other, you know, and they're still together. Or I go to school and there's constant bullying or the teacher is just bad because God only knows I had those growing up. So did I. Right. And so my brain just went to say, I saw a stat about teachers the other day and uh, let's not go there, but it's like, yep, yep. They're not all good. Yep. <laughs> so, nope, nope. And some are really good, right? That's the other thing. Cause some were really good. I had such good teachers in some, in some aspects, but so you have this lived experience when you're young and when you're pre-verbal and your entire cellular structure is coding for what is safe and what isn't. And what happens is that many people get to adult life and they've never experienced actual cellular safety ever. Not in you. I was that, I was that person. You're that person. My, my husband was was that that person. person. Yeah. My husband was that person too. And that also 
is why, and I know a bit of your story that, you know, he had chronic gut problems and social anxiety and, and a spine that was very, very rigid and protective and didn't Mm. trust people. And, and so when you look at that layering of how we come into the world and live, you, then you take this, you know, 35, 45, even 25 year old person who's like breath work, toning, you know, and, and I do these things. Like I get into my ice, I have an ice bath, you know, I, but I'm also regulated and I know how to listen to my physiology. I was sick last week, as you know, we had to, to cancel just a little cough cold and I didn't do certain things because I knew my system needed to not have that shock because it was recovering. But when you don't have that language on board yet, you can get into trouble really fast. Yes. I think I saw something the other day and it was talking about sleep and exercise. And it was like, if you're not getting a good night's sleep and then you go and you exercise first thing in the morning, it's a lot like skipping over $100 bills to pick up nickels. And I think that when we're talking about this work with the nervous system, breath work and toning and ice baths, it's like skipping, you know, if you don't have that foundation, it's like skipping over $100 bills to pick up nickels. Totally. And like I said, I cover my butt here. That stuff is all very, very positive as a stimulation and activation to the system, but you have to know how to use it. You know, it's like that classic scene in Pretty Woman. I don't know if you, that was too were nope no i've seen pretty okay. woman I'm, well, a hu- you know, I'm a human i'm a human woman okay so like when he was trying to uh drive i think it was a lotus like he didn't know he couldn't remember like it, he just kept yeah you couldn't drive it you couldn't drive a stick couldn't drive a stick and i mean that car is powerful and then she got in and she just like knew exactly <laughs> right yeah like that she had the wiring in her body to know how to work with the shifts and the gears and It's like that. And it doesn't mean that you can't learn that, but depending on if I use that example and a bit more squeeze it out, it's like, if you've never driven ever a mat, it's like that. Like if you've never done any, if you've never had regulation in your system, you don't want to go into that version of a a car to try to fix something. You need to start with, well, maybe we'll just start with an automatic, a Honda Civic, Mm-hmm. in a parking lot <laughs> in broad daylight with no rain. Yes. Right. With a person there. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to feel what it's like to turn over the ignition and then you're going to turn it off. And that's the level. And it, it could be so painful for some people too. And I'll speak to this like, Oh my God, Irene, what do you, what? Like, I want to get better. Won't it be better if I just get in the Ferrari? No, because you'll probably crash it, right? And for those of us that have been sick, that have chronic illness, that have autoimmune diseases, that have troubles finding a sense of safety and groundedness in our own bodies, mm-hmm. there is a desperate desire to just be there I already. Oh, and and, sure. I, and I, I fully get that. And to return to that foundational aspect requires curiosity. And it requires some, it requires some willpower too. You're right. Um, a little willpower is important and it's, it's, that can be a tricky one too, for some people who live in a state of survival stress that is more sympathetically dominant. So fight flight, but it also is tricky when someone is more, um, 
in the dominance of what we would call freeze or more shutdown because it's like they're wanting to, but every cell in their body is staying, stay under, stay in the cave. Don't go out. Out there is dangerous. People are dangerous. Feeling my body is dangerous. And so this is where um, knowing in some ways a little bit of your defaults can be important. You don't need to know even what your traumas were because some people don't remember them. That's not important. I need to say that. But yeah, there needs to be these little tiny experiences of sensory awareness, movement awareness, connection to the environment, which is a big hallmark of this work. But then more importantly, starting to loop it all together and having been in the mind body world for so long, what often occurs is people will get really good at sensing their bodies with their eyes closed in meditation. But then the moment you put them into the, into the world or into even cooking dinner, (laughs) you know, it doesn't have to be the world. They're, they're gone. They're not, they're not centered anymore. And so again, it's like, There is so much complexity, and yet it's also quite simple when you look at it from a perspective of what a human baby needs when they're growing up. Much of what I'm teaching and the work that I teach is restoring that sense of connection to self and movement. And the other thing, too, you mentioned the word safety a little while ago. For a lot of people, safety is the last one of the final things that comes in. And that is where I think a lot of times people give up too soon is they expect that they should have the safety come on first because a lot of people who aren't properly trained will say, you know, find somewhere that feels safe. I need you to, you know, and it's again, like that foreign language. What, like, what do you mean? And so nuance and distinction is actually really important when working with someone in this world, because it's like just, there's so many pieces to it and it's not enough Kate to just say, okay, I need you to close your eyes, take a deep breath and feel your feet on the ground. Like that sounds nice. It does. But I can tell you right now for a lot of the population, you say that and they'll go, I want to do that. Or they'll force themselves to do that. And they'll be like "Mm," inside, like, get me out of here, get me out of here. And then others will go into it, but then they'll go into it and they'll freeze themselves And I think what a lot is happening in a lot of the quick fix biohacking practices, and I watch people, I can see, I can tell, I can see it in their eyes, whether or not they're actually getting regulated or if they're just looking a little more glazed over. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are glazing over and they're driving into a bit more of a dissociative state, but um, because they are eating well and they're doing other things, they are improving, but their regulation still isn't restoring. And I think what we start to, we'll start to see is the longevity. Like, okay, if that's just the one thing you're doing is putting yourself into like a mild state of dissociation with this biohack practice, come back to me in 10 years and let's see what's going on with your gut. Have you found a partner? Have you left the toxic partner? Are you still stuck in your business and you can't make money? Like, you ask, it's like a really good old GP, you know, general physician that's just mm-hmm. searching for the little thing. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. And it, 
I think when you get into this biohacking space or when you get into this looking for these things, you're looking to just move the dial, you know, just a little bit more and a little bit more without having that foundation. And, yeah. and I think that some of the work with nervous system is that so much with our diet can transform relatively quickly. Yeah. I mean, and I think we see this with type two diabetes that you can reverse it within a matter of weeks or months mm-hmm. with diet alone. And so this is a relatively quick fix. And as people that have, I think, increasingly short attention spans, <laughs> yeah. Nervous system work requires some devotion and it's not just discipline. And I think that's some of that nuance that Mm -hmm. you can, you can, okay, I'm going to meditate and you can, you can sort of force yourself into this dissociative state and mindset. And okay, well, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to do it for 10 minutes and you're gritting your teeth the whole time. But to get into, to true healing, there has to be some devotion to the work and some desire to to do it that is going to last long-term because it is a long-term and lifelong process in many ways. It's definitely lifelong. And I always kind of caution when I say that because that can scare people, but I always liken it to eating or movement. And I know I saw this being in the fitness industry for so long is that whole trend of new year's resolutions, you know, I'm going to do something for six months or, and I mean, my courses have specific start and end dates because there has to be some kind of bookend, but there needs to be this seeing that this nervous system, I'm I'm starting to call it more nervous system health as opposed to healing trauma. I like that. Cause it's like, yes, there are some traumas that definitely need to be healed. And when you work at restoring health to the nervous system, in this slow lifelong way, it's kind of like restoring, you'd be better at speaking to this than me, uh, a land that is completely devoid of, of nutrients and animals and all the things. And I was going to actually bring that in too. And you can't do that overnight, but one little thing makes a big difference and then another thing, and then another thing. And then over time, that ecosystem doesn't need any outside help anymore. Thinking about a story, was it wolves that they brought into somewhere that was completely Yellowstone? Yeah. It's like, well, they had to do that. Like that needed help from a, from the human, I think. Right. And, and, but then as soon as the system got a little kickstart, it's like, okay, we know how to do this. We know how to do this. Right. And so When it comes to learning this stuff, there is a devotion. And even though I kind of trash talked academia at the beginning of our talk, I love the university concept. Like I even went to my alma mater on the weekend with my husband. Like I kind of have to go back. I want to go back to the university. We just walked the halls and I felt that energy. There's a really interesting energy in institutions like that, where you just feel the history of people studying because you need to study this. There needs to be, like you said, if a person can't get through, you know, a video that's 20 minutes of mine, that's fine. Watch the first five minutes. But what happens is that a lot of people give up too soon because of the way they were conditioned from the school system, that if you can't do this the right way and all the way in one go, you fail. And if you think about it in school, when you fail, there was never any help to try to figure out how to make it better. Typically, you know, it's like, no, absolutely not. Right. University was actually different. 
Like if they saw you were struggling, you could go and get help with a TA, with this, but not an elementary school. Yeah. And we internalize those patterns from school, from our parents. And so it's just like, well, if I can't, if I can't do it, then I'll just give up. I'm broken. There's no and point. I think in- yeah. This plays into both self-sabotage and an aspect of sort of victim consciousness hundred percent. that can be very difficult to overcome. And I, and I, and I say this as somebody who knows I am deeply, I have been a self-sabotager for most of my life and, and struggled to find a space where, okay, I experienced these childhood traumas, but -hmm. I don't want them to define me any longer. And I now have, I now have choice. I now have sovereignty and autonomy over how I move forward and work to heal my nervous system all while pulling in that innate knowledge that just like land can heal. And just like you said, and that story where they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone and there was just this cascade of events that began to deeply heal that ecosystem. And we are a part of nature. Like we are nature, nature and we, we have that same resiliency, but there are these, you have to make these choices and they're, they're hard. And I know that they're very hard. And you know, the interesting thing is that the nature piece is interesting because you're right. Yellowstone example is, I think I cried when I watched that actually. <laughs> and, and I got so angry because I saw like some really nasty comments under the video around predators. I'm like, Oh, come on guys. Like this is the, this is how it works. But what's interesting about the human I always say the human is we're nature, but then we also have this higher brain mm-hmm. that still is up for debate where it came from. And the technology in us is very advanced and it can be advanced for us or it can be advanced against us Yes, because we can use that higher brain, like you said, to push a little willpower to, to do the work, to get out of bed, to, to make the bed, to get clean, to have breakfast. Right. But then there's this weird thing where some kids were brought up and this was more my upbringing being pushed to do lots, lots, lots. And for some people, they actually have to learn how to be lazy. That's been my journey. Like for me to just sit and not do something is actually very fucking hard. (laughs) And, and it's fine, but it's like, and this is where there's no one size fits all, but there is an algorithm to the healing of the nervous system, which is, as you said, this environment, this connection, but then understanding what's going on. Cause sometimes I'll seek students who will, they'll stop their healing because they're not wanting to push a little bit. And then some people will stop their healing because their patterns are so strong and they don't know how to rest. It's this very, it's very interesting. It's very delicate. Yeah. And everyone wants to compare themselves. And no matter how many times I say in my classes, everyone has to be their own N equals one, their own compete against yourself. And when they see, you know, stories of people having all these breakthroughs and then they are not having that breakthrough, shame can come in right? And I must be broken. And it takes a lot of coaching from my team to be like, 
And you can't say to someone who's like, oh, I'm just so broken. I'm never going to, you can't actually say you're not broken. You're going to be fine. Cause that's actually not what that system needs to hear. They need to feel that intense shame and feel it and process it so that they can get to the other side. It's very, it's very intricate, Kate, when you get to those deeper levels of that, that school conditioning that so many of us had. Yeah, I was going to say that 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 comes from school, that mm-hmm. sense of competition and looking outside of yourself to see how others are doing as a baseline. Uh-huh. I would be remiss. One of my big questions actually yeah. is what nature has to teach us. And I think in watching your videos, I see so much of whether it's learning healthy aggression from a, a mama bear uh-huh. or whether it's learning how to parent from watching, you know, our farm animals and their immense sense of presence with their, with their young. And I think that we get this beautiful mirror in nature for how our nervous systems can be. And all of this conditioning that we've been speaking about often changes. Mm -hmm. You know, nature is definitely interesting because again, it depends on the person. So actually I'll share a story. So I recently interviewed Corey Gazvini, whom you know through the the quantum biology posses. And Yeah, Carrie and Sarah Kleiner. Yeah, and he said something which I kept in our interview, even though it was a little inaccurate from my lens, which and someone caught him on it on the YouTube video, which is fine. But he said, you know, there's no way that someone can have anxiety when they go out for a hike, right? The moment you're in nature, you're going to feel better. Your cells are going to, you know, and that's actually not true for everyone. And, and the reason why is because if we think about something like a hike or walking, that's going to raise your heart rate. It's technically physical activity. If it's a hike, there's more intensity kind of goes back to my Everest example of a while ago. If someone has unresolved trauma and nervous system dysregulation, and they were that kid that had all this craziness and they had lots of survival stress and lots of panic, but then they had to freeze and shut down to cope. And I think this is probably, I can just see in your face, this was you. Uh huh. <laughs> Fast forward to your twenties when you're on a hike with your, you know, your first boyfriend or something like that. And you know that you're safe with him. You know that you want to be outside. And all of a sudden you think you're going to die because your heart's just like, and it's not matching the terrain. Irene, I have had this exact experience. Yeah. This exact, my first boyfriend, 17 years old, out on nature, (laughs) out on a hike, total meltdown. Sarah, my so, psychic abilities, yes. my, yeah, my psychic abilities are it's still a great sharp. example. <laughs> so, so what's <laughs> happening there is, I'm mean, granted, you probably liked him. I'm going to assume maybe I was choosing somebody that fit a pattern of parenting that I was familiar with at that point. Right. right. Yes. So it was your choice. You weren't being forced to be there with that person. And so it provided enough connection that it allowed your system to let down and feel this stored survival stress inside. And so if we don't understand that, a person might go into that and go, well, I suck at hiking. 
right? I shouldn't be here. Or I suck at exercise. It could happen in a gym class or a yoga class, right? It could happen in a meditation class. It doesn't matter what it is, right? It could happen on driving. And then a person thinks that they're afraid of driving has nothing to do with driving, has to do with being in an enclosed space. That's something that happened to me once. And so, you know, Corey was really, I'm actually really glad he brought it up because it was like, actually not everyone is going to feel that. Sure. Maybe you're getting the sun and the electrons and the biome. But again, if that underlying survival stress that is living at that core of all of the nervous system cells is screaming bloody murder, this isn't safe. I'm not safe. You're not going to absorb that healing that nature is there to provide you. And of course, I can't back that up with a study, but my sense is, is if you're scattered and feeling that the body isn't going to take in that, that natural medicine to the same degree. And so, so nature is very important, but we also sometimes have to titrate how we interact with it. And it might be that it's enough for a person to just stand outside on their driveway and be in the rain. Sometimes when I think, I think we, and I've talked about this on a couple of podcasts, when we say nature, we picture going out on a hike, Mm -hmm. but it can't just be standing on a patch of grass outside of your door in the city, you know, in New York, like nature can be many things. And I also think there, there are things we can learn from it without being in it. You know, this idea of healthy aggression or of parenting. Well, and that's true, right? So again, you're right. My my body goes to, my mind goes to the, the forest. I mean, I'm staring at beautiful trees. I'm by the ocean, but it's also that primal nature, that natural instinct. And you alluded to that with the aggression, because again, the human is filled with diversity of emotion. But when we, you know, when we have not been modeled healthy aggression, grief, all the things, right? We don't have a template. We don't have a language for how to even feel that, which actually is an interesting one because a lot of people will try to get their anger out through cathartic practices. Like, and this happens at a lot of workshops that are starting to kind of be seen as not the best, but they'll, you know, give you a base, a plastic baseball bat and pillows, or you'll go into a room and scream together And the trouble with that is, again, you're in this group think mentality where there's peer pressure. And I've been, I've worked with many people where I would not ever ask them to even consider thinking about growling until they naturally bring it up themselves because it is not safe. But then someone might say, but it's natural. It's part of our biology. It's like, uh, yes, but we also haven't been brought up naturally We've been brought up with these human brains that have been dysregulated and we've basically imprisoned, this is a bit harsh, our children to not be natural and curious and cry when, you know, you're crying, go to your room. Like, what does that teach someone that it's not okay to feel right? And so again, it's an interesting thing. It's like, yes, we want people to get their aggression out and and to heal because holding an anger is so toxic for the body. But then we also have to prepare them to be able to bring it out on their own time. Otherwise, you're poking a beast, essentially, poking the bear. And I think that this, I mean, this has been 
this has come up so much within the context of this podcast is that again, mm. all of these foundational skills have to happen before we, we sort of dive into some of these practices that we may not have the, the foundation or yeah. have laid the groundwork to really get into. And so I think within that lens is if somebody's looking to heal, mm. where do you even start? Yeah. It's a good question. <laughs> so I kind of have a general outline in my brain for people. The first thing I think is, I shouldn't say the first thing, but one of the most important things is you have to have a desire. This goes back to what you were saying devotion, a desire, mm -hmm. a willingness, an energetic pull, like, whoa, what she's talking about makes sense. I don't know why it makes sense, but something makes sense about it. So that's kind of one of the first prerequisites is an interest because a lot of the things that I would teach or do if it was in private session, even though I'm not doing that anymore, but in group, you have to be a willing participant, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing would be education. Like education is key, but it's not enough. And so you need the education, but then you need the practical, right? It's like learning a new language as an adult. Like you can understand the theory of how a language works, but you have to start speaking it, pronunciating it. You have to make mistakes, you know, all, and it has to be consistent, right? You can't just do it for five minutes and then I can't speak Spanish all of a sudden in five minutes, I'm going to stop, right? That's ridiculous. So education and then practice. And so how a person does that, if they want to work through my world is through my courses, my classes, you know, there's so many of them, you, can, you know, we could talk about those, but a person can also go and, and just see my site. I definitely want to talk about those at, yeah. at the end and we'll have Do all it. of those because yeah. I think they're incredible. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, keep going. Sorry. No. So if a person wants to heal, like I said, it's, it's really that desire, the education, the practice, from experience, I have found that if someone is unwilling to shift their environment, and I don't just mean where they live, but maybe who they live with, their family system, I'm not saying that you, you know, disconnect and leave everyone, but you have to be discerning, right? I think that it's important. Like if you're living with, let's say a partner, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever, and they are toxic and they are not allowing you to express, right? If, if you're having a teary moment or, or you're burping <laughs> or you're passing gas. Yeah. And if that person is in any way ridiculing that or making, cause again, in school, we made fun of that stuff, right? It's just so common, but it's, it's part of this. It's getting back into that biological impulse in the body and it is really hard for a human to fully let that happen when they're living with someone who is, is afraid of it. Usually it's because they're afraid. It's not because they don't want to. It's just so far out there and it makes them uncomfortable. And we're so disconnected from our bodies in general, from our hunger signals, mm -hmm. from our, you know, our need to go to the bathroom yes. or from our thirst that being free in that space to take care of our body the way that it is asking or or to lean into those feelings mm -hmm. is of vital importance. 
It's massive. And if we go back to what I was talking about, about the nervous system and the branches, again, like those nerves that I mentioned are going to the gut, they're going to the skin receptors, they're going to the, the bladder, to the bowel, to the heart, to the lungs. And so one of the ways that a person can naturally start to work with their nervous system, and this is so counter to all the things that you're seeing people teach that are doing the biohacking things and the vagus nerve toning. It's like, just listen to when you're cold and put a sweater on, or if you're hot, take, you know, cool yourself. If you're thirsty, drink. If you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. If you're tired, just pause and have a rest. If you're feeling antsy, move, right? If you're feeling a need to, to cry, like all these things are entry points into working with the nervous system and its dysregulation. If we can't do that, it's really hard to process the big, crazy traumas that we do have that are going to come out in ways that, my God, Kate, I'm sure you've experienced some healing where it's like, if someone was watching this, they'd be afraid, right? Because just like a wild animal, we have that primal need to scream and convulse and, and, you know, froth at the mouth and scratch. But if a person can't just go to the bathroom when their bladder is needing to release, trying to get that stuff out is not going to come out easy and it's not going to integrate properly. Yes. If that makes sense. And being in, it makes perfect sense. And being in a safe environment to experience that. I know I had an experience this week where something came up and I, I mean, just in full meltdown and my husband was right there. Yeah. And so finding that space where somebody can be with you in that and allow you to be in that, however it wants to move through you is, is incredibly important. It's very important. And this is why for some people, the one time or not the one time, but the few times I'll say, this might not be the time to start is if a person knows that they're not going to be able to really do the work. Cause I've had some, I've heard some bad experiences where, you know, a, um, a younger person will start to do the work and they're still in their, their home life and the parents see it changing and it, they, it gets worse. The trauma gets worse. The abuse gets worse. And so you can do little bits, but I would say that's the hard part because for some, they can't financially leave, right? Like our, you know, it's the whole life over limb Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we do need to have shelter and food. That's still the main basic thing. And so once that's there and the environment is safe, that sets a person up to better be able to do the work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to make sure that we, we wrap this up on a, a note of healing and yeah one of the things that I wanted to return to was the mm-hmm. sense of plasticity mm-hmm. of just how plastic and capable of resilience and regeneration to pull a word from agriculture mm-hmm. that we are. And that while, you know, while all of this is formed in that neuroplasticity, our neuroplasticity is also a part of what heals us heals. and that amazing capability of being plastic. I think you said it. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing more to say, you know, oddly neuroplasticity is what puts us into bad situations. And it's also what gets us out of them. And, and that's where the human system is really an open-ended 
system. It's a, it, the circuitry can go either way. And so one thing I'll say is again, cause I've just seen this so often in, in students and clients is, is to not get discouraged if you have a setback. And a lot of people think that when they start the work, they have a setback because they start to get more anxious or a symptom gets worse. And I can tell you from personal experience, I've experienced more survival stress and sympathetic anxiety in the last year than I have my entire life. And it's not because I'm living in a war zone and my husband's abusing me. It's because my system finally has the capacity and the security to deal with the deeper more early things that my little system had no freaking clue what was going on. And that is really important because a person might go, this work is wrong because I shouldn't be feeling more. And this is where kills me that so this many is beautiful people in this the is very important world, yeah are like you're all just, just gonna take a deep breath and you're just like it's my biggest pet peeve when someone says you just have to relax your nervous system that makes no sense the nervous system isn't about relaxation it's about survival and autonomic function and social engagement and getting our needs met And so it's so important for people to understand that it's not like having a bacterial cut and you take some antibiotics and it's gone. It it is this process. I'll say it another way, Kate. Most humans have not actually experienced what full safety and regulation is like because of our upbringings from young, young people. Like, yes, I'll use an example. We've got some time. Okay. Um, okay. Like, so you're, do you have bears where you live? Probably we not. do. Yeah. We have black bears. Okay. So we have black bears here too, even in the suburbs. And so baby bear cub here and cub where you are true or false. Mama's going to care for them the exact same way. That's a question. The exact same way. Yeah. True. Yeah. No, there's no true. questions. <laughs> We go to Russia, same thing. Montana, same thing. Washington yep. State, same thing. Alaska, same thing. Universal. Totally the same. Humans don't have that. No, we do not. I think that there's a potential for that to happen, mm. but it's going to take some balls from people to say, this is how it's supposed to happen. I like that. Because if it doesn't happen, we're never going to figure out our problems as a humanity. If we don't change the way we parent, we can't heal intergenerational trauma. We can't heal the future trauma. No. We, it has to shift. And it has to shift before someone, in the best case scenario, this is kind of utopic, but every single 20-year-old learns this stuff who wants to, and hopefully it's more than 50%. <laughs> Cause they learn the science and they learn the education and they go, Oh man, if I don't do this, my birth process is going to be harder. I'm going to screw up my kids and then they're going to be sick. And, and I don't want that. Yes. Right? And so if we were to even take two years out of, you know, the life of a, of a almost child rearing person, you know, in their twenties and teach them this stuff, it will not take very long for humanity to heal. And it seems crazy, Oh, Irene. but it's not because I've seen students who have only been in my programs for a year and the stuff they're healing with their existing children is out of this world. 
I just had a student tell me that she just had a physiological birth in her bathroom by herself, no pain, baby came out totally fine, and it was nothing like her first child six years ago. And it's because she stayed with her body, she's done the work, it actually can be quite easy. Now, of course, there's always exceptions, but I really think, I don't know where that tangent came from, but I get it when I think about the bears and then I think about humans and, and then we have to also understand, and each human is unique. This is where it gets more complex because then you have to be like, well, I have five cubs, humans, kids. You can't treat each sibling the same. No. You have to, some things, yes, they, they eat and they yes, have but if They're bio-individual. Yeah. If little Susie is artistic and little Jimmy is more, you know, into this and you got to let them do that. I want to capture something you said, because I love this so much. And I think as preconception diets become more popular, yes. right, where we're, we're remineralizing and preparing our body and our yeah. nutrition prior to giving birth, we might be missing a really great opportunity to have a preconception nervous system, not going to call it a diet, but preconception nervous system learning experience where we really get a chance to heal yeah. our nervous systems in a way that is not only going to bring us through the process of birth, which I think, you know, when I, I have, I'm lucky enough that I get to witness birth pretty often here on yeah. the farm. Totally. And it teaches me so much about the ways in which we are not told birth can be, which is beautiful and easy. easy. And yes, easy. You're not easy. having to tell that cow to, to, to push. No, she knows exactly <laughs> when to push. Like she knows her body. Yep. She knows when to lay down. She knows when to stand up. She knows, when to she knows everything. Yep. Like all of that, all of mm -hmm. that wisdom is right there. And it's all of what we've been talking about, this societal conditioning yeah. that sort of disconnects us, I think, mm -hmm. from that wisdom. Mm -hmm. And what an opportunity we would have if this was widespread knowledge or and if part of your preconception was to learn about and heal your own nervous system so you yeah. can be a regulated, present, grounded parent. A hundred percent. It's completely possible because I've seen it in my students. And those are the stories that really touch me because what I know, what I know when I hear those stories is it means that that's another human, meaning their kid, that isn't going to need to do this work, which yes. is great. Yes. I want to retire yes. at some point. Right. So it's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, great, let's do this. And you know, I haven't had biological babies myself, but my husband has, and I've just been around so many kids and it's, it really is simple. And people are like, you've never had kids. You don't I'm like, no, again, being in the Philippines, you don't need kids to No, being in the Philippines, no babies cry in the barrio in the city. They do because they're being put into devices and contraptions and that's not mm -hmm. right. But when you're, there's in... a whole book, there's yeah. a whole book called why African babies don't cry. There you go. So, you know, and, and I remember being there with my first husband and we were riding in this jeepney and there's like a little baby that's just limp and all. And he looks at my mom and he goes, I haven't heard any babies or even kids cry since we've been here. My mom's like, Nope, 
And anyone living in more North American Western, they would be like, that's impossible. And that's not true. It's because of this lack of understanding of what kids need. And when you give it to them, they're really quite simple. Yes. Yes. (laughs) They want presence and safety and nourishment. I know we're running up on time. I I don't want to keep you too long. I do want to give you a chance. And I want you to talk about Smart Body, Smart Mind, which is coming up in September and your 21-day nervous system course. So basically, I have two big main programs. Uh, Smart Body, Smart Mind was originally created. It really is the granddaddy of the courses. It's 12 weeks. It goes through as much as I can teach in that time with training calls and videos, practices that are not your typical nervous system practice. Yes, there's some toning in there, but there's also movement and lots of self-connection and intentional work with the organs, with the spaces of the body. I'll leave it at that, but it's, it is really what I suggest. If someone can go through that, go through that. So that's September. We usually run it only once a year, but we're doing it an extra round this year in September, 2022. And then if someone wants to start now, and I recommend that, um, you can begin the 21 day nervous system tune up course and that self study, but there's still support. I have a team of real professionals that are trained like I am answering questions and that's, um, 21 days, but you can take, you know, two months or however long to go through it. Um, and that's kind of like the brush strokes, the basics. It doesn't get into working with early trauma or anger or aggression. All of that is in smart body, smart mind. And then, yeah, if you do, if a person does do the 21 days now, the cost of that is taken off of SBSM, smart body, smart mind. Mm. So it's kind of like an investment rolls over, if you will. And then it's really a lifetime thing. Like we've had people who have done smart body, smart mind, like eight times. So people that have been with me from the beginning, this will be the 12th time we've run it. You gain alumni status, you have the material and it literally is like university for the nervous system. And all, there's so many stories on the site, just crazy things that are are, not possibly to heal. And it's like, I'm not, a, to me, it's not a miracle. It's just like the Yellowstone, right? It's what the body wants. Mm-hmm. It's what the baby wanted, but we never got it. So those are the, it the wants two to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll have links to all of those and to the testimonials as well, because I think they speak for themselves They're on what fun, people yeah. have been able They're to heal too. in terms of, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a good way to connect with what's possible and to open up possibility at the outset, because I think that there is that aspect of, of belief and wanting yeah. to see that as well. Irene, I know we're running out of time, so we'll have links to all of your social channels, your incredible YouTube channel, you. your Instagram. Thank you so much. I'm just so appreciative for your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and just the amount of education that you're providing people. I think it really is going to change the way that we are as a culture and to begin to heal, not just the individual nervous system, but the collective Collective. nervous system. I thank you. Yes, it can happen. I know it can happen. I'm seeing it happen. So thank you for having me. And and it's just been a pleasure to get to know you and we'll keep talking. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. I know you're on a run. I'm 
seriously considering doing smart body, smart mind. I've done some somatic experiencing throughout my healing yeah. journey. Yeah. But I'm really looking into it. And so I, I just so appreciate you sharing about that. And oh, you're welcome. Everything and else you shared here today. Yeah, I would say it's very, you'll have a very different experience than what you would have maybe done in SE with a person just because it's blending the, the Feldenkrais, but also the early trauma stuff that I get through another practitioner mentor. And so, yeah, it's, and like I said, like you can take four years to go through it. Like some people only get through the first three weeks in the first 12 weeks. It's an onion. I mean, yeah. working with trauma, <laughs> you're, you're peeling back layers of an onion. And I think that it takes time. And I know that I've just recently had something come up that was a call to heal a little bit deeper. Like, yeah. okay, we've done, we've done a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. But it's, it's time to maybe go a little bit deeper. Your body's ready. My body's ready. And I, I love what you said too about sometimes sometimes all of this turmoil comes up <laughs> when readiness is here. Totally. That, that was a beautiful reframe oh, for good. me. Good, good, good. Well, let me know if you ever want to be an affiliate, you're more than welcome to. That's like a whole other, like, yeah. if, you know, I know sometimes people prefer to wait until they've gone through the work to, to promote it, but you know, you're welcome to do that. And I have you- watched almost all of your videos between here and when we connected. And so I think I would be open to doing that without having taken the, I feel familiar enough with your work. Great. Well, what I'll do, I'll make a note. I'll get, um, Bonnie is my main assistant that helps with that. I'll just connect her with you. And she'll also be the person because when you air this, I'll definitely share it with my people. And if we can air it on my channel, we're welcome. We're open to doing that too. That's great. I'm happy to do that. Cool. We'll, we'll type and connect. Yeah, we'll type and connect. And we also, I'll also post a link to your upcoming podcast, which we didn't cover and is a big, very exciting thing. Cool. Cool. Okay. We'll, we'll connect via email. Let me let you go. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Have a good Saturday. Bye. (laughs) You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Groundwork Podcast. If what you heard today resonated with you, may I ask that you share it with your friends or leave us a review? This helps others find Groundwork. If you're looking for more, you can find us at GroundworkCollective.com and at Groundwork Collective on Instagram. I would like to give a very special thank you to China and Seth Kent of the band All Right, All Right for clips from the beautiful song Over the Edge from their album, The Crucible. You can find them at All Right, All Right on Instagram and wherever you listen to music.